So today we're going to jump into number four in this series. It's a short message, um, but I think it's a message we all need to hear. I want to share with you the, the few verses from Colossians chapter two that we started with the basically the cornerstone of our series. And it says this, verse six, and now just as you accepted Christ Jesus as your Lord, you must continue to follow him. Everybody say, follow him. So it's not enough to walk an altar, to say a prayer when you're six years old, live however you choose to for the next 60 years and hope to get into what we call the pearly gates. We've got to follow him in our life. Verse seven says this, let your roots grow down into him and let your lives be built on him. This is a problem for many people, believers and unbelievers alike. They want to build their life on the things of this world or other things, success in their career or their family, all these other things. But God's desire is for us to build our lives on him. It says this, then your faith will grow strong in the truth that you were taught if you listened. And you will overflow with thankfulness. Verse 8, don't let anyone capture you with empty philosophies and high-sounding nonsense that comes from human thinking and from the spiritual powers of this world rather than from Christ. So it's really important that we capitalize on this last thought there that this whole series is based off of. We do not want to give in to human thinking and to empty philosophies or high sounding nonsense. So we've got to get things straight. We've got to live according to God's word. So today in number four of the series, the title is this. We're all God's children. Now, I used to teach at Clinton Christian Academy and teach Bible, and some of my ex-students are actually here today and have been part of the church, um, and they can tell you that we talked about this in our classes, because people have this statement that they say, well, aren't we all God's children? And today I want to correct that nonsense, but there's a reason for that. I'm not just jumping on a soapbox during these little messages about nonsense to tell you to just think right. It's to help you actually live in a way that pleases God. So today, as we talk about the nonsense of we're all God's children, I hope to correct some of the thinking that maybe we've been guilty of doing, but also have us be passionate about realizing that since not everyone is a child of God, we've got a job to do. Our job is not done. It's not over. So the Bible is clear that all people are God's creation. According to Colossians chapter 1 verse 16. I'm going to give you some references today. And not read through every single one of them. Because I've got two main passages. But if you want to jot that down and go back to it later you can. The second thing that the Bible makes clear is that God loves the entire world. There's no doubt about that. John 3.16, which even unbelievers can quote uh, because they might have heard it in a Sunday school or they've heard it on a TV show or something at some point, that God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. The point is that God does love the entire world. There is no doubt about this. But the truth is that only those who are born again spiritually are God's children. In fact, Jesus has a conversation and we're not going to go into that passage today, but he has a conversation in John chapter three, where we quote for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten. The reason why we have that in scripture is because Jesus was having a conversation with a man who needed to understand a little deeper 
how to do this thing about coming to faith, how to start believing in him. And he was confused and rightfully so in those days, he didn't have the understanding. And he said, what do you, what do you mean? I've got to be born again. Do I shrink down and go back to my mother? Like, how does this work? What are you talking about? And then Jesus begins to lead him through. And we use that conversation piece, that quote to help us capitalize, or really it's the cornerstone of our faith that God so loved us, he was willing to sacrifice his only son. But the truth is, only those who are born again spiritually and choose to have a relationship with him become his kids. So John chapter 1 verse 12, I want to read to you. It says, but to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Becoming a child of God is a right that God gives to you and I when we come to him in faith, when we believe that he truly did send his son to die for us, that he is not dead, but he is risen, and that because of his resurrection, we can be with him forever in eternity. First John chapter 3, I'm going to read this passage to you this morning, and I want you to follow along. Listen closely, verse 4. Everyone who makes a practice of sinning also practices lawlessness. Sin is lawlessness. You know that he appeared in order to take away sins, and in him there is no sin. Verse 6, no one who abides in him keeps on sinning. I want you to think about that for just a moment. In the struggle with the temptations that you faced and the things that you've dealt with, even after coming to faith in Christ, there's a very strong worded, clear message here that no one who abides in him continues to sin. No one who keeps on sinning has either seen him or known him. So when we are struggling with temptation and when we're facing and we have this battle that's going on that rages, we've got to understand there's a real enemy that's trying to knock us off our game and trying to get us away from the Savior of the world, the God who created us, who loves us and wants to spend eternity with us. So we have to realize that sin is more than just a choice. It's something that you have to continue to not choose on the daily. That means Billy Graham, y'all know who Billy Graham is. He passed away, but Billy Graham even had temptations to sin. You can think of anybody, your grandmother, the most holy person you can think of, or whoever it might be, they even have a temptation to sin. So we've got to consciously continue making the choice not to, so that we stay in a place of pleasing our father. Look at what it says in verse 7. Little children, let no one trick you or deceive you. Whoever practices righteousness is righteous as he is righteous. Whoever makes a practice of sinning is of the devil, for the devil has been sinning from the beginning. The reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the works of the devil. Amen? Amen. Verse 9 says, no one that's born of God makes a practice of sinning. For God's seed abides in him, and he cannot keep on sinning because he has been born of God. Temptation, let's be clear, is not a sin. But when you give in to temptation, 
it, it, it becomes the sin. The Lord says in his word, and we talked about this in our first message, where we said God won't give you more than you can handle as a thought that people believe. But the reality is that phrase comes from a place in scripture that actually says that God won't allow you to be tempted more than you can handle. How many of you have ever given into a temptation? If you're alive, raise your hand, right? But God has given us and continues to give us a way of escape. So look at what it says there in verse 9. And he cannot keep on sinning because he's been born of God. Verse 10. By this it is evident who are the children of God and who are the children of the devil. Whoever does not practice righteousness is not of God, nor is the one who does not love his brother. Whoa. I was with you until that last part. You mean somebody who has hate in their heart towards somebody else cannot be considering themselves a child of God? That's, that's what it's saying here. Whoever does not practice righteousness is not of God, nor is the one who does not love his brother. So one of the clearest teachings of scripture runs from Genesis all the way to Revelation is this, that there are two classes of humans. There's two classes of humanity. It's those who belong to God and those who do not. This is really important, and it shows up even in Genesis all the way through. Listen to what uh, the, the next verse that I want to read is Romans chapter 9, verse 8. And listen to what it says. It says, it is not the children of the flesh who are the children of God, but the children of the promise are counted as offspring. So the simple and basic truth gets really twisted in the world. Let me put it really plainly. When people say we are all God's children, what they usually mean is that we are all God's creation. But you can't be his kid unless you have a relationship with him. Now, this is really simple stuff, and this can help you be able to share your faith with others. Because the reality is, is there are many people that you and I know who are not God's children. This should burden our hearts. I've struggled since moving here to the south, being in the Bible belt. Uh, I've struggled with this idea because there are so many people. When you go to Wendy's and you get your order, if it ever comes out, Mark, <laughs> after 20 minutes of waiting, <clears throat> if when they give you your change or give you your, your order, what, bless you, have a great day, God, God bless you, or hope you have a blessed day. Yeah, we say that stuff as commonplace, but as a result, it's eroded or it's lost the significance of its meaning. So when we hear stuff like that, we're just kind of in this little shell thinking that everybody around us is going to the same place, but we're not. The Bible says clearly there are two destinations available to us. So it's a word of warning for those of us who are here today. If you have not yet made a decision to follow Christ and to walk on the path that he's chosen for us, then you can make that decision today. I say, don't put it off. I've listened to fearful messages. Think about if you leave today and you get in a car accident, if you died, where would you go? That's, it's good because the Bible says some are won by love and some by fear. Some of y'all need to be scared enough to accept his love and his grace and his forgiveness. But the reality is, is our eternity is a lot longer than this life. The psalmist compares our life to a vapor that dissipates very quickly. And that's really, even though we feel the here and now is taking forever, 
it's really not even a glimpse of what eternity will be like. And so we've got to understand this really at, at the center focus that a lot of people who say this kind of, they're saying something to be kind or saying something politically correct when they say that we're all God's children. But the lost are never referred to in scripture as God's children. So here are some things that they are called in scripture. And I want to just make this really clear to you. So we've got a couple on each screen that will show. Those who are not God's kids are called spiritually sick. They're called rebellious. Any of you have ever had a rebellious child? The, <laughs> uh, the, the lost are called lost very clearly because they are without direction. And the, the reason why we call them lost is because God's desire is for them to come to be with him and to be part of his family. Our God is a family man and he wants everyone in his family. It also says in Acts chapter 20 that those who are lost are living in darkness. It says that they are under the power of Satan. It says that they are slaves to sin. That they are spiritually blind. That they are God's enemies. This is something for us to consider because I, I, I have something to celebrate. I don't act like it's a funeral when I come to church because I know that I was stuck somewhere in a place of opposition against God and he said in his love he would take me in and I accepted that and so I've got a reason to celebrate that now I'm his friend and no longer his enemy. Some of you, if you're happy and you know it, you should tell your face. All right, next one. Objects of wrath. This is God's wrath. If if we do not determine or decide to become his child, we are then, there's only one other option, and that would be that we would become the objects of his wrath. Ephesians chapter 2 verse 5 says that we are dead, dead in our sins. It says that those who are lost are darkened in their understanding and they're separated from the life of God. It says that they are in the dominion of darkness and that they are alienated from God. They again are listed as his enemies and even as idol worshipers. These terms are never used to describe God's children. So we've got to just kind of let that sink in. John chapter 8 verse 44. Jesus is having a conversation with some Pharisees. And in this conversation, uh, the Pharisees essentially are saying to him, Well, Abraham's our father. And Jesus, essentially, they're going back and forth on very almost immaturely on their part. No, he's not. Yes, he is. No, he's not. Because they're trying to convince Jesus that they are of the right heritage and descendants of Abraham. And this is what Jesus has to say in verse 44. You are of your father, the devil. Now, no mamas should say this to their children at home, okay? <laughs> Don't say these words. Don't start quoting John eight forty four. okay? But you, he, Jesus comes out and says straightforward to them, and your will is to do your father's will or his desires. Jesus is talking to the people who are going to have him murdered, and he uses this phrase. He says, he was a murderer from the very beginning, and he has nothing to do with the truth because there's no truth in him. In fact, when he lies, he speaks out of his own character, for he's a liar and the father of lies. 
So in other words, if you've ever had, uh, maybe for the kids or teenagers in here, if anybody's ever told you, wow, you look just like your mom. I met someone's sister this morning and I could see the resemblance. They came from the same stock right? Well, here's the deal. Jesus is having a conversation with them and says, you look just like your daddy. And that's not my dad. He's on the opposite side of things. He's a murderer. He's a liar. And this is what you're trying to do to me. You're lying to get me to the place where you can murder me. First John chapter three, verse 10 says this, this is how we know who the children of God are and who the children of the devil are. Whoever does not practice righteousness is not of God, nor is the one who does not love his brother. What I shared earlier. So this idea is all throughout scripture. We become God's children at that moment when we accept his salvation and when we turn our lives over to him. I think that's the missing step for a lot of people is they get caught up in the emotion of it. I don't want to go to hell. I want to see grandma when I get to heaven. I I think I love Jesus. I want to, and they make that decision. But the idea of following him is a little bit more of a treacherous journey than they think. And so sometimes it scares them off. Or sometimes they play the part without actually having had the change. Those people exist in every church. In churches around America and around the world. So my challenge to you today is to live authentically according to the Bible and choose. I hate to say it like this, but choose who your daddy is going to be. Is he going to be the enemy or is it going to be the God of all creation who really desires to be with you, to bless you and to walk with you through this life? So our relationship deepens as we demonstrate loyalty to him and we obey him. How many of you have ever asked somebody to do something and they disobeyed? Can I see your hands? (laughs) I don't know why some of the kids are raising their hands. Um, (laughs) But yes, we have we have seen when (laughs) when people disobey. How does that make you feel when somebody disobeys? Angry, mad. Distant, disappointed. So you've got to understand from God's perspective, when he calls us his kids and says, okay, now live your life this way. I promise you it'll be better if you do it this way. But we don't trust him and we don't obey him. Then we find ourselves on a road that's much harder than we ever would have been had we just said, okay, and just done what he asked us to do. Look at what Galatians chapter four says. It says in verse four, but when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son born of a woman and born under the law. There's a deep meaning to that phrase under the law and we don't have time to go into it today, but suffice it to say that God set a law in place and he has filled all the requirements of that law in sending his son to the earth. Verse five, it says this, to redeem those who were under the law, so that we might receive adoption as sons. I always love this part of the good news. You don't have to be Jewish to go to heaven. Because I'm not Jewish. But God is our adoptive father. He's the one who has adopted us as sons and as daughters if we've allowed him to do so. Look at what Romans chapter 8 says. 
I'm going to give you a couple things in just a moment that are sort of action points or things that you should do as a result of this truth. Look at what verse 14 says, though, of Romans chapter 8. It says, For all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons or daughters of God. Verse 15, For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons, by whom we cry, Abba, Father. That term, Abba, Father, is an original term back then that was a term of endearment. It's almost like saying daddy. So something very sweetly spoken from a child to a father. And so the point here is that the Holy Spirit allows us to call him our father. Look at what it continues to say in verse 16. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are the children of God. And if children, then heirs and heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ. Because really, if you think about it like this, Jesus Christ is your brother. I'm not trying to get weird and talk about like anything that would be like, you know, way out there in spacey. But if he is God's son, in, in just in our general understanding, then we become part of that family. And if he's an heir, then we are an heir as well. We have become adopted by God himself when we choose to allow him to adopt us. This is the, the bad part, verse 17. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, which not only means you get the good stuff, but you also might get the bad stuff. Jesus was persecuted for his faith. You might be too. Jesus suffered as a result of his faith. You might have to too. It says this, provided we suffer with him in order that we may also be glorified with him. You know, something that I noticed with my family is that when we go through a hardship or a hard time, we all of a sudden, if we were like this, we go like this. You've seen that even in our nation, when the nation goes through a hardship. I can remember the days of September 11th and those after September 11th. And I remember neighbors actually introducing themselves to neighbors. And I remember just the, the unity and the, 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 the life that was breathed in. That same thing is true when we come to Christ, that as we come to him and as we go through some of these difficult things, maybe even suffer for our faith the way that he did in some way, that it actually builds our, I want to say immunity, but builds our strength and resolve and causes us to have a unity with him that we didn't have or wouldn't have if all we ever had was good. But wouldn't that be great if all you ever had was good? It really would. But that is not the life that we live here on this earth. Human, humans, whether they're believers or not, we suffer. We have things that we deal with. But with God, we have so much more hope than those who do not. In fact, I've been in funerals before where the person who died was not a believer. And you should see the despair on people's face in moments like that. Because they're just deceiving themselves and trying to say, well, he's in a better place. They're not really sure. But man, when a believer dies who has served the Lord and been a light to his family, to his community, to his friends, there's a celebration. Because the Bible says we rejoice. We have a hope that we'll be united again together one day. Why? Because we're part of the family. How many of you growing up were considered like the adopted kid of a friend's family? 
Anybody? Like you hung out there all the time and like you grew. Okay, yeah. So you understand what that kind of thing is like. The benefit to that was you got all the good stuff but didn't really have to like clean up and, and do it. It's kind of like being an uncle instead of being a dad. Like you get to like you spoil them and do whatever and then pass them back. Uh, that's that same. But here, what I'm trying to say is this, that when we are adopted into God's family, we are truly adopted by a covenant in his blood. This is not just a loose leaf. You can just get the good stuff, but you'll have it all and be an heir with him if you choose to. So those who are saved are children of God. The Bible says in Galatians chapter 3, verse 26, of God through faith in Jesus Christ, because God has adopted as his sons through Jesus Christ in accordance with his pleasure and his will. At the end of our services, we always have the worship team come and they uh, play what we consider an encore song, just a song that kind of gives us a moment of quiet reflection and thinking about the message. But today, I don't want you to be like a Bible Belt Christian who just says, God bless you, have a good day. I want you to actually come to a, a place of decision today. And so I want to give you some thoughts that you can take home with you and dwell on. The reason why we talk about this nonsense, the first reason is because we need to live authentically biblical lives. Maybe today you're here and you say, Pastor, I've been sinning and yet I've considered myself a child of God. I don't know what step I need to take. Stop sinning. Uh, Trust him to help you and make the decision today to stop. It's not automatic. It may feel that way. But it's manual. You get to choose. God created you with a free will and you get to choose. So choose to live authentically according to the Bible. Number two is this, because we need to realize the sad truth that we have family, friends, and even co-workers who are not God's children. My kids will sometimes ask this question when we're talking about a family or talking about schoolmates or something. And they'll, you know, they know they don't come to our church, but they're not sure if they go to church somewhere. And they'll say, Daddy, do they love Jesus too? We have family and friends and you have co-workers who are not God's children. And this is why we talk about this nonsense, because it should penetrate our heart to help us realize that not everybody is. And we've got a job ahead of us. Number three is because those who are God's children need to live like it. I hit on this a little bit, but I say again that if you're dealing with temptation to sin, ask God to help you overcome that temptation. There is no temptation that has been allowed for man or woman that God will not provide a way of escape for. Even if it feels inescapable, God is bigger than that temptation. Amen? And the last thing is this, because we have a duty to reach the lost. Now this, this might be a harder pill to swallow, so take a little bit of sugar with it. But if you're like me, you've probably been guilty of this. We feel good about ourselves and we kind of have a puffed up you know, chest when we walk out after a missionary's been here and we've dropped a $20 bill because we've, we've helped them and they're, they're going and they're feeding the hungry and they're doing what's necessary in a country far flung across the world. And we've got this good feeling, but that's not really all that our job entails. In fact, I think maybe we should stop doing that and start 
being the missionary ourselves in the places where we work, in the places where we connect with other people. I'm not preaching against giving money to missions. Don't mishear me. I'm just saying sometimes we cop out because we've dropped money in and we think, well, somebody else is going to do it. If, you, if you're honest with yourself, you might actually have copped out and thought, well, yeah, I mean, isn't that pastor's job? He should go stand on a stage somewhere in the community and preach the gospel and win the world. Actually, Paul writes to Timothy and tells him, and that word is left for us to hear too. He says this simple phrase, do the work of an evangelist. You and I have a duty to reach the lost. Who's doing that job in your house with your kids? I even thought about it this week, convicted by the Holy Spirit because life is busy these days. And I got into a routine for a few nights where I just kind of kissed the girls and walked out of the room instead of praying like we always pray. Instead of talking and reading through a Bible story. It's my job. Nobody else can do that. Well, it's my wife's job too. But it's, it's my job in my house. It's your job at your job. You say, well, pastor, I might get fired if I share my faith. Maybe it's worth the risk because their eternity hangs in the balance. So take the opportunity when you have that opportunity. My prayer for myself and for each of you is that our hearts would become burdened for those who are lost around us. Because there really are so many people who don't know the love of the Lord and haven't given their lives to him. Second Peter verse 3 says this, The Lord's not slow to fulfill his promises as some count slowness, but he's patient towards you not wishing that any should perish, but that all would reach repentance. Sometimes we want God to move as fast as we want him to move, but he's showed and demonstrated patience towards us and he's demonstrating that towards others. That's why Jesus hasn't come back yet. Look up at me for a second. That's why Jesus has not come back and taken his church home because he's being patient with us and giving us time to do the job he's called us to do. It's more than just coming and serving in church or more than just putting money in an offering, more than just going on a missions trip for a week or two. It's about us living a life that's a beacon of hope towards others. First Peter 3.15 says it like this. We should always be prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks us for the reason of the hope that is in us. And we should do that with gentleness and respect. That's why I don't agree with those who stand on a street corner and start shouting Bible verses. You can disagree with my disagreeing of that, but this is why, because the Bible says we should win them with gentleness and respect, that we should have conversation and open it up. So maybe during this time today, as we've talked about this, you've been thinking, I trust the Holy Spirit has helped you be thinking about a family member or a friend or a coworker that really does is really struggling and really could use the hope of the world. And you might be the only person to give that to them. Would you stand with me? I want to ask you this question. Eyes closed, eyes opened. It doesn't matter to me. I don't think anybody here is going to judge you over this, but my question to you today is very clear. Have you been born again? Have you accepted his love and his forgiveness and his grace? 
Have you truly demonstrated with your life that you've given it all over to him? If you haven't, then today is the day to do that. So what I want to ask you to do is just slip up your hand and say, Pastor, pray for me. I need to receive his love and his grace today. If there's anybody here, he boldly died on a cross for you and for I. And so I think there are times when we can just boldly say, I'm in need of him. If there's anybody like that, I give you just a moment to do this. The second question is this, are you a slave to sin? Now, nobody's going to be jumping on their chair and waving their hand. But you know you are. And so my encouragement to you is trust him today with that problem or that that area of constant going to sin and choosing that and ask him and say, God, I might have prayed for this 200 times before, but I'm asking for your help once again because I need to be free. The Bible says that where the spirit of the Lord is, there's liberty, there's freedom from bondage and chains. We've got people who serve in churches and who even lead churches who live in bondages that they shouldn't live in. And all they've got to do is trust him and ask for freedom. And he gives that because he's a way maker. The Bible says he's a chain breaker. Amen. So if you're a slave to sin, make the decision today to no longer be a slave to sin. It is possible to live free. And the last question is this. Maybe this is the one that hits you the hardest. If your heart isn't burdened for those who are your family members or friends or coworkers that you know are not God's children, then I hope that you'll join with me today in prayer. Just a simple prayer at your seat that says, God, would you open up my eyes to see the need, the spiritual need for those around me? And would you help me be prepared to meet that need? In fact, I'm going to pray that prayer right now. The worship team is going to lead us in a song and then we'll be dismissed. Father, I pray today for Celebrate Church, for all of our home folk, but also for those who are visiting today and with us. Lord, I sincerely believe that you want us to understand that we are not all God's children. And Lord, that that would burden our hearts for those that we know who are not. Father, I pray that you'd stir a fire, a passion in each one of our hearts to be the light and the hope and to spread that hope and light only that comes from you to those around us. God, help us to have our eyes open to see the spiritual needs of those around us and help us be the ones who meet that need. In Jesus' name.